Good morning, Overflow and City Light Church. Um, if you don't know me, let me introduce myself. Uh, my name is Brian Crawford, and I am the lead pastor of a uh, church plant in Vicksburg, Mississippi, by the name of City Light Church. Um, this is a very, very, very unique time in our nation and, and obviously in our world. And so we are joining you. Uh, City Light is joining with you, Overflow, uh, via live stream. And we are excited, um, even from the, uh, from our homes and in our seats to be with you this morning. Um, but if you got your Bibles, what I want you to do is I want you to turn to the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. We're going to look at verse 44. Um, and you got no excuse to say, well, I left my Bible at home this morning because obviously you are home for most of you. So would you turn your Bibles to Matthew 13? Let me pray for us, uh, before we get started. God, we love you. Um, we thank you, Father, we ask and we pray, Lord God, that even from the uh, from the seat of our homes and our living rooms and our bedrooms, wherever we are stationed, Lord God, we ask and we pray that you would speak and we ask and we pray, Lord God, that our hearts would hear. Uh, Father, help us by your spirit, uh, hear and obey, Lord God, encourage us. Strengthen us, Lord God, in the light of this uh, these turbulent times that we that we are in. Uh, help us, Lord God. Uh, center us where 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 our hearts need to be, Lord God. With with all of the chaos around us, center us where our where we should be, which is ultimately uh, in you. Our hope resting in you. Our joy uh, resting in you. And so, Lord, would you do it for your great name, Lord God, for your glory, for your honor. These things we ask and we pray in your son Jesus name. Amen. Amen. What a difference two weeks make. Um, I had every intention of being present with you there in McGee, Mississippi, and, and this morning uh, to worship the king of the universe. And not only me, but we were bringing our entire uh, church with us to, to worship alongside you. Uh, but that was before the coronavirus, uh, COVID-19, or as some of the young folks have coined it, Rona. Uh, that was before it swept through our nation and swept through our world. But um, I know for many of us, this has been a very unusual and very unsettling and, and very, uh, very uncertain time. But, but for many of us, it has been a time of great clarity. Uh, moments like these oftentimes do that. They give us clarity on what is really ultimately valuable in our lives. Some of you are thinking the Internet. I've been given clarity that the internet is very important for me. Um, how different would life look right now if you did not have the opportunity and the ability to live stream this, this Sunday morning service? Um, uh, but by the way, have you, have you ever thought about, um, just how important Lysol and toilet tissue and hand sanitizer was before these moments that the, um, that, that coronavirus has brought to us? How precious are these small, commodities that we look past every single day of our lives when we're walking through the grocery store. But we've also gained clarity about some other important things, uh, more important things. I, for one, have gained a new appreciation for the privilege that we usually overlook of being able to simply hug someone without regard to whether or not we are passing uh, something on to them or whether or not they are passing something on to us and then ultimately taking that back to our loved ones unsuspectingly. I've also gained a new appreciation for presence, being in the same space with the people of God, 
um, has uh, that that God has linked us to rather, and, and and now I yearn for the Sunday that I can come back together with my church family. Make no mistake about it. While we love this technology that we've been given by God, this technology does not replace presence and being in the same space with one another, worshiping the King of the Universe together. You see, in hardship, what we discover is what we truly value. We discover what we truly value. But also in hardship, we discover what is truly most valuable. And there's a difference between the two. What you value isn't always what's most valuable. But usually the more, the more difficult things become in our lives, the more crystallized our understanding of what's important becomes. Because it's in these moments that we get the chance to slow down and ask ourselves, are the things that we are investing all of our time and all of our money and all of our talent and all of our energy into, are the things that we are placing all of our hope in, all the, are the things that we are treasuring, are they actually worth it? The one thing I'm certain of this moment, uh, that this moment has given us is the chance to force us to ask that question and to have that question answered in our lives. Are the things that we currently treasure most actually the most valuable things in this world? And that's why I hope we can answer this morning. Uh, because I'm 100% positive that, that every single one of you that are watching this morning are treasure hunters. Every single one of you watching, you are a treasure hunter. Now, some of you have been searching all your life for a treasure that will bring you lasting joy and satisfaction that you've longed for, but you have yet to find it. And then some of you have suffered the pain of thinking that you found the treasure, but over and over and over again, you've had to learn after you receive it that it is only fool's gold. And then there are many of you that have actually found that treasure that I'm speaking of. And so my prayer for all of us this morning, my prayer for all of us today is that the Holy Spirit would illuminate our understanding to see what is really infinitely valuable, to see what is really worth it, and to see what is really and truly treasure. So as we look to Matthew 13, verse 44 together, I want to accomplish two things. Number one, I want to give you an accurate definition of the treasure in Matthew 13, 44. And then number two, I want to give you an accurate assessment of that treasure's value. So definition and assessment. Let's get to it. First, let's look at definition. Matthew 13 and 44, by now you've reached it. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So here's a man who stumbles as he has, as he's walking through a field, he stumbles upon a treasure. Keep in mind, this is ancient times. There is no regions or bank corp south uh, for him to place or for someone to place treasure in. And so the treasure is buried in a, in a field. And, and, and that doesn't sound as outlandish to those whom Jesus is speaking to in that time as maybe it does to us. Nevertheless, this man finds the treasure and what he finds is so valuable to him that he gives up everything else that he possesses in order to acquire the feel that holds this treasure. So let's define treasure. Let's define this treasure. In order to define it, we must define the term kingdom of heaven. So let's take a moment to do that. First, let's understand that in the Bible, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God 
are synonymous terms. They both mean the same thing. In the Gospels, when the authors are referencing things uh, Jesus says and has said, Matthew will often use kingdom of heaven, while Mark and Luke will often use kingdom of God. And there are times when they use both in the same passage of scripture. For example, there's uh, one such time in Matthew chapter 19, verses 23 through 24, where he says, and Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Notice the terms are used interchangeably. In the beginning, kingdom of heaven. By the end, kingdom of God. This interchanging happens all the time throughout the gospels. But another thing we must understand regarding the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God is that it should be viewed from a present future perspective. Now, now we're about to get a little nerdy. In other words, in some places in scripture, we see the kingdom of God is being something that is coming in the future. However, in other places, we see it as something that is already here. So what do we do with that? This brings me to my last point about the kingdom. The Old Testament and the New Testament usually define the kingdom of God as dynamic in nature. To say it another way, it is usually not referencing or referring to an actual place, but it's referring to an actual reign. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, for example, we are encouraged to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. When in Matthew chapter 10, verse 15, we are encouraged to receive the kingdom of God. They aren't describing a place. They are describing reign. They're describing rule. So if you look at it this way, it is totally possible to have the kingdom of heaven be something that focuses on the present in some instances and the future in others. You see, on one hand, the kingdom of God is already here because Jesus Christ came to earth, lived a sinful, a sinless life, died the death that we all deserve, paid the price for our sin, rose from the grave and gave salvation to all those who have submitted to him as Lord and as Savior by turning from their old life of sin and turning to the new life that's lived in him by faith and repentance. Those who have turned from sin and placed their trust in him have been saved from hell and have received eternal life, not because we deserve it, but rather because we trust the one who does. And in some ways and in some regards, the kingdom of heaven has come down to us and has come to us. Yet on the other hand, the kingdom of God is not yet here because Jesus's second coming has not yet occurred. Our perfecting and our glorification as his church has not yet happened. The transformation of our old corruptible bodies to new incorruptible bodies hasn't happened yet. In other words, the kingdom of heaven is here, but has not reached its full consummation, its full manifestation. All right, like I said, that's a lot. So let's just take a deep breath and, and define the kingdom of God in these terms. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven both refer to the rule and the reign of God. Now, for you and for me, the kingdom of God is total submission to his rule and total submission to his way. So the treasure in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, is the rule and reign of the Lord. Or to be even more specific and simplify it down, the treasure is the Lord, Jesus Christ. So we've defined the treasure. Let's talk about appraising the treasure, assessing its worth. But first, I want to ask you this question as you think about the fact that this treasure is Jesus Christ. Is he your treasure? Now, before you answer that, 
understand that there's a great number of people, both in Vicksburg and McGee, who would say yes. And yet they rarely allow Christ to inconvenience them in their lives or in their bodies. They go where they want to go. They do whatever they want to do. They say whatever they want to say. They live however they want to live with little or no thought as to how Jesus might feel or how Jesus might think about the things that they are saying, doing, and in the way that they are living. So again, I ask you, is he your treasure? Many of us will say he is my treasure without actually treasuring him. And let me be clear. You cannot call treasure that which you do not treasure. Now we'll have, we'll, we'll have to sit, we'll, we'll, when we think about this ideal of treasure, oftentimes what will happen is that we'll sit down and we'll, we'll binge through a season of Netflix, but we'll roll our eyes and groan if a sermon designed to unpack the inspired, infallible, incorruptible, life-altering word of God goes over by five minutes. Again, the question must be asked, is he your treasure? Or is that next season of Netflix television your treasure? One pastor once asked a question of his congregation that I believe ties very well to our current self-assessment, our self-evaluation that we're making together this morning. He said this, what if you had the opportunity to visit heaven and there was unlimited riches and wealth, no sickness, disabilities, or disease? What if all your friends and family, those who had gone on before you were there in perfect health, happy and joyful? What if there was absolutely no cares to be found, no bills, no sickness, no wars or fights, no poverty or hunger? What if you went to heaven and everything you could possibly ask for and hope for was there except God? Would you still be satisfied? Is he your treasure? The man in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 seems to answer the question, would I still be satisfied with a no? But how do we know that? How do we know that he values this treasure in this way? How is the worth of this treasure assessed in this verse? The first reason that we know is because the treasure is hidden. The treasure is not in a place where anyone can walk by and spot it. It is hidden from view. Once the man finds the treasure himself, or, or rather, once the man is in the field, he finds a treasure that is hidden in the field. And it's only by the grace of God that this man happens to stumble upon this treasure. There's no puzzles that he solves like national treasure movies. There's no special actions to be performed. There's no foes that he has to overcome. Simply put, he's in a field. In fact, he's in somebody else's field. We don't even know why he's there because no reason is given. And he stumbles upon this treasure of incomparable worth. The same can be said when describing the rule and the reign of God in one's heart. His gift, God's gift of salvation and his presence, God's given presence of his Holy Spirit in our lives cannot be attributed to something that we've done. It is God who quickens our heart, God who opens our eyes, God who leads us by the hand towards him to see the treasure which was once hidden from our spiritual view. Jesus shares uh, a, a, a similar, uh, or Jesus articulates this hidden nature of the kingdom in John chapter six, when we hear these words, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up 
on the last day. This is a tremendous measure of grace involved in getting you to the treasure. This is a, a tremendous amount of grace involved in getting you to a place where your eyes are open to see Jesus clearly. Another place in scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, it says, for the, word of for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is a grace to see the treasure because many are looking for treasure and looking right over the rarest treasure of them all and giving themselves over to treasure that, that, that is nothing more than fool's gold. Maybe it's work, maybe it's riches, maybe it's substance like drugs or alcohol, maybe it's pride in their possessions, maybe it's a relationship. But many, for whatever reason, can't see the worth and the value of this treasure because this treasure is hidden from many's view. It is, the, it is that hidden nature of the kingdom that speaks volumes about the kingdom's value. But we also know that the treasure is valuable because when the man finds it, he protects it. Verse 44, again, it says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field when it, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Notice what the man does with the treasure after he actually finds it. He hides it. Again, he hides it until he's able to come back and get it. He immediately realizes once he sees it that he has stumbled across a treasure of the rarest form. It has a value so incomprehensible that he can't allow it to be taken from him. So he hides it until he's able to come back for it. This is a man who has not only found the treasure, but he understands the worth of the treasure. So he protects the treasure. See, if the treasure has infinite value, we'll protect it with our very lives. My family has significant value to me. And because they have significant value, because I treasure my family, I will fight, I will claw, I will do everything in my power to protect my family. You see, this kind of understanding of the kingdom is, 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 is written all throughout scripture. When you look at, for example, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we wouldn't give, uh, uh, rather those gentlemen would not give up their treasure of God to serve idol gods. And so they were willing to literally burn in a fiery furnace if they had to and face death in order to protect that treasure. You see this in the story of Stephen, the deacon in the book of Acts, where where he is so committed to holding on to this treasure that he is literally stoned in the street for not renouncing Jesus Christ as his Lord and his Savior. See, we know this treasure is of great worth because there are those who are willing to protect it with everything that they have. Do you treasure Christ this way? Is he your treasure? Lastly, we know that the treasure is valuable because the treasure is worth giving up everything for. Look at the last part with me in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. It says this. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything to buy the field. He sells everything. He sells everything. He sells 
everything to buy this field holding this glorious treasure. Have you done that? I mean, really, seriously. Have you made a commitment to sell off everything, to fully embrace the treasure that is Jesus Christ, to fully embrace his rule and his reign, to trade off everything that you once considered valuable, everything that you once considered precious in order to grab a hold to the one thing that is ultimately valuable and the one thing that is eternally precious. Have you, placed, have you placed everything that you possess under his lordship, under his reign? Notice that in order to purchase the field, he has to give up everything. He trades everything else that he has for the field. Jesus describes this in, in, in other places, this, this transaction Matthew chapter 16, for example, verses 24 through 26, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever trades everything will find this treasure. Verse 26, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall, it, or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Is he your treasure? Are you, are, you, are you willing to give up everything else to hold on to the treasure that is Jesus Christ? And we're not just talking about materials. We're talking about your pride. We're talking about your, your ego, your, 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 your murmuring and your complaining, your time, your money. We're, we're talking about basically putting your life in his hands. And saying, Lord, whatever you want from me, that's what I want to do. Have you done that? Yes, no, maybe. Now, this is where the rubber really meets the road. If you don't get anything else out of this, make sure you leave with this. Make sure you make sure you leave this live stream this morning with this. Verse 44, it says that in his joy, he gave up everything in his joy. Now, I want to I want to I want to share a few interesting observations that's worth being mentioned about 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 Paul's letter to the Philippians. Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, according to the ESV translation, uses the word joy or rejoice 13 times in this one letter. Now, you may say that's not strange. I mean, I have joy and I rejoice often. But what's interesting about the fact that he uses it 13 times in Philippians is the fact that he's writing it from jail. He's writing it from jail. And as he is writing it from jail, the letter is filled with moments where Paul is rejoicing and Paul is filled with joy. He says, for example, in Philippians chapter two, verse 17, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. He says in Philippians chapter four, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, Rejoice. Why was Paul, in spite of his circumstance, despite why was Paul, despite the fact that he is faced with the threat of so much loss, why is Paul so joyful in the work of the Lord? It's because his eyes were open to the worth of the treasure. The work isn't easy. For Paul, the work wasn't easy. I'm certain he shared plenty of tears of sorrow and moments of grief, but through it all, 
Paul carried an enduring joy, even in the loss of freedom, even in the suffering of his body, even at the departure of friends. He still rejoiced. He still was joyful. Why? Because he realized the worth of the glorious treasure that is Jesus Christ. Paul elsewhere in that same letter in the third chapter of Philippians, he tells us this, verses 7 through 11. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. I've sold all that I have. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He sold everything for the treasure of knowing Jesus. The treasure of knowing Jesus was of greater value and greater worth. How have you joyfully given up everything in order to receive him as your treasure? Do you joyfully serve him, not looking to man for for affirmation, but looking to God because God is the treasure and you are delighted to serve him because he is worth everything? Is he your treasure? As you think about this moment that we're facing, the hardships, the, un, the, the unknown, the, the suffering that many are facing right now, and, and most certainly many are, many will face as we, as we think about how coronavirus is, has, has really just come through our country and our world in, in such a rapid pace and touched so many lives. What sometimes adds to the sense of dread and fear that we suffer is the reality of what we stand to lose. What sometimes adds to the sense of dread and the sense of fear and the sense of sorrow and anguish is the question of what can coronavirus take from me? But here's the beauty for those of us who have found our treasure, for those of, for those of us who have found this treasure. When you discover this treasure and you understand the true worth of this treasure, then you realize that no matter what this virus threatens to take, it can never take this. No matter what this virus threatens in our lives, no matter whether it's our health, no matter whether it's our livelihood, no matter, no matter whether it's our riches, no matter whether it's our jobs, no matter what it is, no matter whether it takes it or not, the one thing that we possess that it cannot take is the most precious thing in all of the universe. Jesus Christ is the rarest of treasures. And so if you found that treasure, then you can take hope and you can, you can be filled with joy, even in the midst of great times of trials and tribulations. And if you have not found that treasure, I invite you this morning to make Jesus Christ your Lord. The Bible says that we confess with our mouth Jesus Christ is Lord, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. It says that everyone call, who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's quite simple. You, you confess Jesus Christ as Lord by repenting, by, by trusting him in faith, by putting your life in his hands. 
but you also confess him, uh, but, but you also make him Lord by repenting of sin. You, you turn from the old way and you embrace the new. You embrace his way. You say, Lord, it's your way. My way is done. You forsake all and you embrace him as your true treasure. And in embracing him as your true treasure, you have the one thing that no pandemic can take away, that no calamity can, can strip from you. And so I ask you, is Jesus your treasure? And if he is not, I invite you to make him your treasure today. Would you pray with me? God, we love you and thank you so much. We thank you for this, for this time together in your word. We ask and we pray, Lord God, that you would bless this time, that you would open the ears and the hearts and the eyes of those who are listening, that you would deepen the relationships um, Lord God, that are already establishing you. But Lord God, that you would create new relationships, that people would come to you, Lord God, and that they would, that they would commit their lives to you this morning, that they would forsake the old ways, their own ways, that they would forsake all, and that they would lay hold to the treasure that is your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. We thank you. We give you all the praise and the glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. And hopefully we will see each other in person very soon.